would be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Hello and welcome to For the Hamlet. My name's Ben and uh, this is episode eight of Home Disadvantage and this is the last episode in what we are calling season one. This is going to be a 30 minute or so summary of the topics we've covered so far and the guests we've spoken to and what we've learned and uh, what the future might hold for Home Disadvantage. Uh, and to do this, I'm joined, as always, by Hugo. Good afternoon, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. And uh, Melzy, obviously, as always. Yeah, afternoon, mate. Um, I was actually just looking on the recording now, like, who needs the trim now? I'm looking at my head, and it's, it's basically you, like, two or three weeks ago. Grows so quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your hair grows so quick. <laughs> like a fuzzball. It's not a good look. It's just the same length all over. Um, yeah, not good. Uh, You're looking a bit Joe Cole in that uh, England shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what does Joe wearing, Cole look alike? <laughs> I was wearing the red one with like that like bit of like shape or like yeah, yeah. the Sweden volley one. I was just thinking about that goal, yeah. If I was wearing that, yeah, it would be a spitting image. Um, cheers for joining me, as always, lads. Uh, as I said, Let's try and keep this to 30 minutes. I just thought it'd be useful for us to have a bit of a recap of what we've covered so far in this series because there's been a lot to take in. We've talked about a lot. Um, and there's definitely some like overarching themes, which I think we've all taken away from this and that we can all kind of go away and, and think about more deeply as well. Um, and uh, as a starting point, I suppose, freshest in our memory is our, our last episode with Michaela Williams um, of the Dulwich Hamlet women's team. Uh, which I found really valuable um, and full of bits of um, information that you could take away and, mm. and apply to how you go about your daily life um, in terms of you know, how you can be a better ally as a white person, um, specifically in the workplace, I suppose. And also, um, I felt it kind of, she gave us a lot of insight into what it's like to be black, female and gay in the workplace and make your way up that ladder and the glass ceilings, as she rightly put it, um, how she's been smashing through them. But, you know, why do they exist in the first place and the fact that they do exist? Um, I just thought it was a really uh, useful conversation and I know that you both did as well. So have you got any thoughts on that? Do you want to kick off, Millsy? Uh Yeah. Um... I think one of the biggest things that I took from it really was the, like you said, how sim there are simple messages in there which can be applied um, in in the workplace. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, not enough sort of black people are in senior positions or even middle management roles. And some of the the bits that Michaela was talking about, it, it enables people, the listeners to apply the simple things at work, whether it be supporting their black colleague, um, trying to find a way to help have more diversity within, within the workplace. I think one of the, the biggest things as well was about the black hair. I think that's so huge. And um, it's, it's obviously it dates back to, to years and years and years ago, but I think that's such an, that was such an important part, part of the show and something that we hadn't actually obviously touched on um, before 
Um, so I think that was that was that was that was very that was very important. Um, so yeah, from that from that episode, those were probably the biggest things that that, that I I took from it. Um, and I think there was a lot of different messages that the that the listeners can take from it. Yeah, I thought it was a great episode, and I was actually just listening back to it this morning, and it sounded like. I remember on the call being almost sort of a bit of a sponge and just wanting to like absorb as much as possible from what she was saying, but hearing it back, it sounded, you know, just, just as powerful. And I think, yeah, particularly relevant, like for the likes of Ben and I who've been in those workplaces and also the audiences who are going to, you know, continue to be in sort of similar environments. And I think, yeah, what, what, one of the things that really stuck out to me is just sort of how, impressive her own career rises like given the backdrop of of these barriers that she was discussing like the hurdles are very much there and she's she's clambered them um and also like just how i think in the past has probably been a gradual improvement like purely in statistics but it's a lot of talk and very little action and now we're in a stage where the talk is becoming louder and the next stage is actually seeing the action and breaking down those barriers. So Michaela isn't an outlier, but actually, you know, part of a kind of wider trend. And I would also add like the stuff she was discussing about sort of appearances and, you know, how she dealt with some of the issues around hair. And also I think there was a comment that she, she brought up that she'd had at, at uni. She was like, oh, like you're, you're pretty good looking for a black girl, that sort of thing. And like, I was kind of aware that it, you know, black people can be on the end of this sort of quite dehumanizing language. Like, oh, you're pretty this for that. Like it's, it's, it's so odd. And I never really heard that from the, you know, first-hand experience as such. So, yeah, really powerful episode as far as I was concerned. Yeah, if I, um, if I just start with what Millsy said first in terms of, um, like, what you can take away, like, and apply to the next time you're in the office or whatever. I just, one of the things that keeps coming through or has come through in this first season is that you can the thing that you could do straight away is just be an ally and uh, and then we spoke about that in the last episode and i i have come to realize that you can just do that every minute of the day basically and i've become more switched on to how i could do that um and that's what it boils down to i remember thinking about that as well when we were speaking to Lionel Ainsworth about um, how do we get more black coaches into coaching jobs in the football industry and kind of coming to the realization that it will take um, an ally again to employ a, a black coach who sees the value in diversification of that industry and that environment. Um, so that's a very obvious example of, you know, making making sure that you are doing all you can to improve diversification in whatever environment you're working in. But then also like little things as well, like um, even you can even just be an ally by being more aware, right, of of the black about black person's experience. 
you don't have to actively do something to be an ally like just being aware and actually just thinking about their experience and how they are viewing the same thing you're viewing but they are probably feeling differently about it and they've got different experiences linked to that and I feel like I've kind of personally like switched something in my head where that I'm thinking about that all the time now like what how does it how does it look to a black person who's in the same position as me and I think that I haven't had to think about that before because well as we you know as we've spoken about for this whole um project like that's white privilege isn't it you haven't had to have a second thought about it but um you know like I keep thinking about you know if you are a black person and there's a police car coming towards you like that is a very different experience to how it is for me so now if I see a police car coming down the road and I can see that there's a black person in front of me or a black couple or a black family or whatever I'll just be more aware that right at that moment there's a very different experience being had by someone who's very close to me whereas before I wouldn't have thought about it does that make sense <clears throat> yeah definitely and that's that's one of the biggest things um, like you said you don't have to start actively going out there marching every single uh, experience or situation you see you start you know shouting around the houses by that's not what it's about um, the first step is acknowledging it that's that's what I always say the first step is actually acknowledging that there's a problem uh, and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that don't acknowledge that there's a problem. They don't think there's a problem or they will try and rationalize why that situation has happened um, without really thinking about it. And we've learned that from experiences that we've heard uh, during the show. Um, and yeah, you can be an ally by just being aware of this, of, of the situation and just acknowledging that these things happen. Now from that, what are we going to do in terms of, action and education and things like that that's that's those are the next steps but the first step definitely is just acknowledging that there is a problem as um as i mentioned to you before we start recording i've been reading natives by carla and there's um there's uh, a passage in it that uh that really like kind of resonated with me earlier because i kind of feel like i'm in a the, the wording that he uses kind of makes me think about the position I'm in at the moment. And he, he says it's, it's brief. He says that to be black, poor and politicised in Britain is to see the ugly, ugliest side of the police and indeed of Britain itself. It is to see behind the curtain and not be fooled by the circus and to feel crazy because so many others cannot see what is so clear to you. And I kind of feel like I kind of feel like for my for my whole life I've been fooled by the circus like I ha because I haven't had to give that brain power to thinking that actually something is really wrong and can have I looked behind the curtain to actually see what's happening and no I haven't because I haven't had to but I feel like right now because of everything that we've been doing over the last few weeks and everything I've been reading I am now like looking behind and realizing that actually you know this system and systemically there are huge huge issues whereas beforehand you know you didn't well, I personally didn't think that critically I think this is something that Havana explained so well in the episode that she came on and it kind of feeds into this arc that we started in the first episode with Milsey when he was talking about his experiences of of being racially profiled like from a very young age and 
Nathan and Lionel added to that too in terms of their memories. But Havana like laid this out so clearly, I think in my naivety, I'd kind of assumed that the defund the police movement was something that was only really relevant in an American context. But when you break it down and the way she explained it, that, you know, when a person's interactions with an authority always amount to the same thing and are always laced with so many other issues, like how can you approach that situation in the same way? And I think it's, it's about thinking about it more empathetically. And I think the way we kind of went through that example you had on Twitter too, with the, you know, the person who was kind of mouthing off about, um, you know, another, yeah, another person being stopped by the police and, you know, you, you, if you do what you're told, you're not going to get in trouble, that sort of thing. It's, it's not about doing what you're told. It's about the way in which those interactions take place and the kind of sentiments and themes that run behind them. Um, so I think for me, like, if we're kind of working through some of the big learnings that we've had over the course of this series, I think Havana's episode was massive in terms of explaining that in really, really clear terms. Um, and I think too, like, it, it's obviously a conversation she's had a lot of times during her life, but to come on and still kind of express it so succinctly and powerfully, I thought was, was you know, really, really helpful. Yeah, I thought Havana was brilliant and she was, um, she was particularly adept at explaining those huge issues, but um, communicating it very simply and just, making you realize that actually the problem is quite simple. Um, and there was something she said about, um, yeah, the police system as it is, and this is obviously US centric, but honestly, and obviously it applies here as well. You know, the police system basically tells that, tells black people that they can control your body they can arrest you for no reason and not tell you why. And they can incarcerate or imprison you for years um, without any, not without any evidence, but you know, that the threat of long-term prison or jail time is always present. And they, they use that as a weapon. Um, and I've read something recently as well that said that the problem with the police force in this country is that it's a Victorian institution being dragged into the 21st century. And it, as it was set up, it was always set up to protect the state and its property from what they viewed as the dangerous classes, which inherently will be the poor classes, which in this country will inherently be black and ethnic minorities. Um, and I think once, I think maybe this is also something I've thought as well, like, have I always known this, but now, you know, I've, I've forgotten about it. And now because we're having these firsthand accounts from people we're speaking to, you're, you know, it, it's really bringing it home that, you know, this, this is the case and, you know, you hear stories about it, but maybe because of the way it's reported or because you haven't spent time looking into it or reading up on it, you don't engage with it enough to actually think that it's happening. Whereas, you know, because we're speaking to 
people from different walks of life and who've had different experiences, but it's all part of the same problem. Now it's kind of like pulling the wall from over your eyes. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's quite an ignorant thing to say, but I do, I, that's kind of how I feel. Um, I'll be honest, white people know this stuff happens. It's, it's not like it's not out there. You know this stuff happens. And I think for, for a black person, we're not stupid and we're not naive to think that, oh, maybe, maybe like these white people don't know this stuff is happening. This is why it keeps happening. No, no, people know. People are intelligent and people are smart and people know what's happening. The problem is people look the other way. People bury their head in the sand, and pe in the sand, sorry, and people don't talk about it. And this is why these issues continue and continue. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that could could have, could be like the catalyst for change, but it's their choice. You can, you can have an impact in the workplace, but if you choose not to do it, then the same thing's gonna keep happening. So one thing that I've always believed is that I don't believe for one second that people don't know what's happening. That's in my opinion. I don't, I don't believe that there are people out there that think, that are so uh, naive to think, oh my God, really, is that? No, nah, I don't buy that for a second. People know what's happening. People are intelligent enough. There are people at top, top companies and all these degrees and, and, and intelligent people, educated people, and they are fully aware of it. And it's their choice whether they want to get involved in it or not. Um, so maybe when you do say, you know, the wall's been pulled over your eyes, maybe it is an ignorant saying, because I think you do know, but it's a, obviously through this, your eyes have maybe been opened more to it because now you've listened to firsthand accounts of people that you know, it make it, it kind of hits home a little bit more. I think when people are not necessarily close to it or it doesn't affect them, it's easy to kind of, well, it's not me, it's not, not anyone I know, or I, I'm not racist, or I, I do this, or I, I do that. I think when, and this is why this has been so powerful, I think, because you said it's kind of completely changed the way you look at things. And, and that's what, this is the reason why we're having these conversations and, need, and they need to be continuing. But also the next step needs to happen is that there needs to be action taken. So that, that's, that's my opinion on it. I think Nathan brought up something really interesting was that he had a friend who joined the police just to try and see what it was like and see if he could almost change it from the inside. And he said that he just, you know, he couldn't do anything. It's just, it is the way it is. But when you think about like people who do join the police, you'd like to think that they're not all racist or they wouldn't say that they have racist views. It's about them kind of, maintaining the momentum that they might have had recently in these sort of conversations and then when they do get into positions where they have an influence over you know junior officers in the police how are they going about their actions how are they conducting themselves are they following an example of someone who is being more kind of humanitarian you know adopting a bit of a lighter touch than the police have done in 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 kind of recent times and similarly you know like Michaela talked about her workplace and I think she used an example where she said like, you know, one of her colleagues like pointed to the stats and was like, oh, you know, we're, we're doing way better than the industry norm, but like you, you need to be doing more than that. You need to like not just pat yourself on the back and think that you're doing a good thing. You actually need to go further than that. And I think that can apply in lots of different situations. I, I would also, we've kind of always used education as like a pillar of something that can help 
kind of swing the national mood and kind of make everyone more aware from like their whole process, like going through school and like the black curriculum is something as well that we've kind of talked about a little bit between ourselves and, and sometimes on the episodes as well. But I think it, it's in that sector where like you'll kind of hit a lot of barriers and teachers who've been teaching for a while aren't going to suddenly want to like tear up the rule book and learn new stuff because people are comfortable and yeah what this all is about is taking you slightly further outside their comfort zones for a sort of greater push towards progress one of the positives i think that i've taken from this as well is that people do have questions so it takes me back to it kind of takes me back to what i said earlier about people people do know what's happening people do know and, and i think that's proven by some of the questions that we have received on on the show um, which has been good and it's been refreshing and I think it's been a bit of a safe space for people to ask even the most simple questions like the one about the football shirt about uh, using lang certain language and things like that so one of the things that even going forward is is to continue the, the Q&A's and continue the questions and encourage you know the listeners to 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 keep asking keep asking throw the questions out there and I'm not saying that we, you know, I'm not saying that I personally know all the answers, but at least if the questions are thrown out there, then there is a way that we can try and answer them the best that we can. So I think that's been a real, real positive uh, from it. I think Havana put it really well in that she always has kind of seen the areas that she'll have the biggest effects are the ones that she knows best. And for her, that's athletics and education. And if everyone kind of tries to get their own house in order and, you know, have a, have an impact in the space where they have an influence, I think collectively that can have quite a big impact. And there's so much overlap too. Like, you know, we talk about here how we started this to, to talk about it through the kind of filter of Dulwich Hamlet, you know, where all three of us have, have an influence to a degree and we have an audience too, but then, everyone within that audience also has an influence somewhere else in their workplace or you know it could be education it could be many different even just as simple as like how they conduct themselves in public life um so i do think it's all really important and i do i do agree with, with you ben that there is there is a history in this country that you know we're kind of locked into here and it's really, really hard to get away from that and think that there can be some sort of change. But um, I think just by having these conversations and like even with yourself, just sort of talking about how your mindset has changed, I think collectively, like the more that we focus on it, the more mindsets can change and that can take effect in many different walks of life. Yeah, I think, I think uh, over the, since we started this, it's clear that there's a lot more work to do. I think that's clear. You know, the amount of things that I still see online, you know, you look at Wilfred Zahar, um, uh, the Sheffield striker, McGoldrick as well. Uh, oh, the, um, Joff is it Joffrey Archer as well has, has received racism. As so there's, this stuff is still going on. There's, there, there's, a, there's a lot of work to, to, still, to still be done. I think that's clear. Um, one thing that I actually wanted to bring up was the uh, Stephen Lawrence uh, show that, that, that was on last week, I think, where they had the, 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 the debate. And it was very interesting to hear the, the viewpoints of the different pe the people on, on, on the panel. 
uh, and obviously they had the assistant uh, police commissioner in there as well. And I think just watching that as, as similar conversations to what we're having, uh, I think there's still a lot of, um, there's just a lot that needs to happen. You had John Barnes talking about unconscious, unconscious bias. That's a big thing that he sort of promotes is unconscious bias. And I think it is out there. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of unconscious bias and it's, like you're saying, Ben, it's about the mi the micro bits of pieces that people can do. Smallest change can have the biggest impact. Getting your own house in order can have the biggest impact. Affect, affect the neighbor, the neighbor affects the street, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. Um, and you look at the conversation that they're having. I, look, I looked at um, Stephen Lawrence's brother. He must be exhausted. I look at him and he must be exhausted because he's been having this conversation for how many years and it, it's still happening. So we, the time for action is, is now. And I think that's a big thing now. The time for action is now the conversations are great. And I think this still, this still needs to continue because I think it's the, it's the foundation for change. If people don't know what's happening, then they can't affect the change. So these are, these conversations are always important. And then it's the next step. Now, what can we do now? To, to make that change and people people need to know that you don't have to do these astronomical massive things it's just a simple thing at work maybe it might be something on the street it might be a friend um a passing comment that a friend says um like like yourself Ben, when you was talking about um the lady about the the members club in brixton it can be just something so small um, but again that affects one person which then affects another person Uh, yeah, I wanted to show this book that I read recently. It's called Terraforms by uh, Joy White, and she's a university lecturer. Um, it's about a like really small part like, community in, in East London, just like really hyper-local focus on Forest Gate in Newham. And it's quite a diverse area. Like I think uh, comparably, I think it's quite useful one for how we've been speaking about the community in East Dulwich, Peckham, um, that kind of part of the world too. Um, and it really just lays out in like quite a clear, succinct way, sort of history of the black community in London and how policies and attitudes kind of shaped their experiences sort of since the Windrush. And then also particularly how like the last 10 years of austerity have made matters a lot worse um but i think you know we talk about kind of further our understanding like to me like a book like this laid it out really clearly and kind of um just sort of talked through some of those issues at quite a human level there's quite a lot of examples of her own interactions in the area family members um this sort of thing um but yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's not it's not a particularly long book, but um yeah, it it I think it's useful when we sort of talk about making change on that micro level. This is like a micro study of like a, a you know tiny little part of this huge city that we were a part of. And I think when we started this show, we kind of one of the things we talked about is like what are black experiences in London? Um, how do they relate to Dulwich Hamlet, how do they relate to our history being part of London um, and I think 
yeah, as a sort of companion piece, I think that 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 sat, sat quite nicely for me. So yeah, we'll maybe put a link up to some of these um, on on our social medias as well. If this is the first episode of Home's Advantage that you've listened to, uh, you can go back through and listen to the other seven episodes that we've done as well, because as we've covered in this, they are a broad range of topics and diverse um, group of guests as well. Um, and I hope, and I know that they have been useful for a lot of people who've been listening to them uh, and watching them. So if you haven't watched them or listened to them, then please do and let us know what you think as well. Um, I think we can wrap it up there, guys. And um, we'll take a few weeks to book in um, some guests for season two and nail down some other things that we want to cover and discuss and also reflect on this first season. There's a lot for us to take in. And I think I, every day I'm kind of getting more of an of a idea of the key things that I'm going to take for this first season and carry through into whatever we do next. Um, so yeah, I guess thanks guys for the, what we've done over the past number of weeks. It's been massively educational for me and I know it has been for a lot of people and it has been for both of you as well. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to what might be next. Um, this has given us a really great foundation on which to, which to build on. So thank you both for your time. No, I really appreciate it. Really, really enjoyed uh, doing this. And when we first, when we first, well, when you guys sort of came with the idea and stuff, um, I suppose you, you don't know what it can turn into and what it could be, but the fact that we've managed to do X amount of episodes and, you know, want to, you know, have the, we've had, you know, a lot of listeners and subscribers and, you know, the fact that we can even talk about another season is, is really positive and really great. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to carrying on the conversation, speaking to, to a wider range of people with different experiences and, 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 and lived experiences um, and go from there. But no, it's been a pleasure um, and looking forward to season two. Yeah, really, really enjoyed doing this, guys. And I think um, I've certainly learned a lot and taken a lot in over the course of, of doing these episodes together. And I know like a lot of our listeners have felt the same way. And it's it's been really kind of gratifying to hear that um, we're starting to change perceptions a bit and people are starting to look at things in, in new ways and think about how they can start carrying some of this out and having these conversations in their own lives. So yeah, just, just looking forward to carrying on with that and and yeah, keeping that conversation going because yeah, I think, um, I think it's vital. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and yeah, listeners, if you, um, want to recommend anyone that you think we could get in touch with for whatever we do in the future, um, or if you want to get involved yourself, um, please get in touch with us. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram as well. Um, so you can get in touch with us on those platforms and, uh, we'll be happy to speak to you. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up for season one of Home Disadvantage. Um, cheers, Hugo. Cheers, Millsy. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Take care, everyone.